Oh, very much so, because Pearl Harbor is actually my first historical memory, distinguishing from, his, you know, the, something in your childhood to an historical thing, because I remember very well I was walking with my father and we were going to get an ice cream on Sunday, and he heard this on the radio of the shop where, where we went to get the ice cream, and he went absolutely quiet, and I remember how he reacted. And then after that, uh, well, he did have to go to the war, but after that, everyone was involved. It was a period of incredible social cohesion. Children were involved. And as I, <laughs> I say in the book, my godfather was, uh, was named a dollar a year man because he was the president of a company called Goodyear Air, uh, Aircraft. And they were supplying products to the Air Force, and a dollar a year man was a very prestigious person who, who was uh, meeting the quality and quantity targets of, of the government. And so I used to brag to my little school friends that my godfather was a dollar a year man, and I must have been completely insufferable, but that has also remained in my mind. But more than that, after the war, I mean, I also remember very well this incredible period of prosperity, of equality, of reform in the U.S. system, the GI Bill allowing ex-soldiers to go to college, most of them for the first time in their family's history, uh, how many social laws were passed, how the beginning of the um, anti-racist civil rights movement began, etc. So I think, you know, that the U.S. has gone off on the wrong track, but that's not so much the subject of the book. The reason I bring up the Second World War and that social cohesion and that incredibly fast conversion is that I believe we need a similar effort today to make the green conversion, to make the green New Deal um, that would absolutely transform our economies and allow us not only to survive, but to thrive, as particularly as Westerners, as Europeans and Americans, because um, now is the time. I'm, I'm not pessimistic to the point that I say the point of no return has already been reached, uh, ecologically and climate-wise, but it's close enough. Nobody knows, first of all, but it's certainly close enough that one feels that now is the last moment to really make that conversion. And so I am sick to see the way the G20 is hemming and hawing, and nothing much is being done in this direction. And Copenhagen was a disaster, and we don't know what the next uh, meetings are going to bring. But it really is business as usual so far. And so I'm perhaps crying in the wilderness to say that what we need is a green conversion on the scale of the Second World War conversion. But yes, it was a defining moment, and it was on the whole a social moment and a moment of prosperity in the United States, despite the war. Of course, we were not there physically. We weren't invaded. We weren't, uh, and we weren't suffering like the Brits, that's for sure. But it was a defining moment in the history of the country where I was born. And before we sort of come on to talk, to, to talk about the book in, in more detail, I just wondered if you felt growing up in Ohio in the 30s and 40s, was your sort of value system laid down in those years? Did you, did you sort of imbibe values that you think have remained with you and have informed your activism and your writing uh, ever since? 
Well, I am a typical wasp. Uh, the first people in my family arrived from England in 1632. I was born to two people who were upper middle class families and very standard American for that period. In other words, you were privileged, I was privileged, certainly, and you were expected to give something back. And you were expected very early in your life to give something back. I started visiting children's hospital when I was 11 or 12, taking toys, a round of books, or whatever. That's what my parents did and their parents did, just as a matter of course, because we were part of the bourgeoisie of this middle-sized city. And these values were simply automatic. In school, I went to camp in the summer. There also, fairness, justice, uh, all of these things which we perhaps didn't call by those names, but, but considering personal qualities of loyalty, generosity, whatever. And yes, I think that this was, a, this was a very much uh, the American spirit of a certain bourgeoisie at that time. And, and people can laugh at it now, but it really was also a quite solid foundation, and that has, yes, inspired me, certainly. I think the world can be different in other ways. So, so were you already a fully formed political animal, if I can put it like that, by the time you went to the Sorbonne in the late 1960s, which obviously not also at the time of, of great political ferment and, um, and change? Absolutely not. I had no politics, or at least not what one would call having any politics today. I was alternating, I suppose, between... Republicans and Democrats, but that didn't take him very far in the, in the U.S. And I did not understand politics, as most Americans don't, in spite of studying government, as we called it, rather than political science at Smith, Smith College, which is sort of the equivalent of Harvard or Yale for women. And uh, it was really in France where I moved in the late 50s and I was married and I had three children, so there I wasn't developing <laughs> many contacts in the political world either. Um, but it really was through first the, the Algerian War in France, which I watched from a distance, but watched all the same, and allegations of torture and so on, and started reading a lot more. And then, of course, the Vietnam War. That's what transformed me, because it broke my heart. I could not believe that my you know, country of birth was able to do these horrible things which were proven, which we knew about. And I joined the anti-war movement in 1967, and as an anecdote, I can tell you that I had to write to Noam Chomsky to know what to do. I didn't know Noam Chomsky, but he'd written articles about this, so I said, here I am, I'm a housewife, I've got three small, smallish children. Uh, what can I do? And he wrote to tell me that there was, very kindly, informed me that there was actually a Paris American Committee to Stop War called PAX, which I joined as soon as I knew about it. But that's how I became a political person. And the writing, did that start in the, in the 1970s? It started really because I had connections because of the Vietnam War to the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington. And they were setting up an institute abroad, which they eventually put in Amsterdam because somebody gave us a building there. 
and it's called still, and it's still there, and I'm the board chair now. I've gone from dog's body to the board chair. The Transnational Institute decided to put together a team to go to the World Food Conference in Rome in 1974. This was the first World Food Conference, and because I was editing the report and doing the, that sort of dog's body work, I, I learned uh, a great deal about world hunger during the meetings of these experts, which I certainly was not. And when I got to Rome, I discovered that the two largest delegations were Americans and agribusiness people. So I thought, this is not at all, you know, this is not what we need. And there were a lot of problems that came both from the American agricultural policy and from the agribusiness sector. So after that, with another person, we both started writing, and then he moved off to do something else. And then I'd already been working on this for six or seven months, and I thought, am I going to lose all this work or what? But I didn't have the courage to write something alone, and I asked somebody else, my new from because of food studies, can will you help me? And he said, oh, write the book alone. Uh, books by several people never do well. They're boring. Nobody buys them. And so I just went ahead, you know, totally blind faith. And then the great miracle of my life was that Penguin took the book, and it did very well, and that sort of launched me. And then from there I moved on to debt because ten years later, um, the friends from the South in the, in the anti-hunger movement said, look, the biggest new contributing factor to hunger is debt. So you've got to do debt now. And I said, I can't. I don't know anything about money. I don't know about economics. They said, yes, yes, you can learn. You do very well. So I sat down and read and, and learned and started writing about debt. And then, as you know, one thing leads to another. And here we 